Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. When Pentecost begins today, it's, we call this the birthday of the church. And we do that, uh, it's not because, for instance, that, you know, back in the day, the disciples got their Roman 501c3 paperwork filled out and figured out, and that was the day it all began. This is the day, the, the birth of the church, because this is the day, as we read in the scripture, that the Holy Spirit fell on this room of ordinary people like us who were just praying humbly and waiting for God's power to come just as Jesus promised. And I love Pentecost because... It's something that reminds me that as we gather in a room like this today, it's just ordinary people with ordinary stories, that it's not a celebration of a bunch of spiritual heroes who happen to get the Holy Spirit while the normies over here don't get anything. It's people like us that God poured out his spirit on and radically changed the world, radically changed the world. It means that as we celebrate this today, that anything is possible, that God can move and breathe life into us in ways that we have not expected and change everything. We are gathered in a room like this as a continuation of what happened that day, as the fruit of that movement where the Holy Spirit fell. That word church, ecclesia, it literally means called out ones. We are a people who are called out. What that means in Jesus' day, this word ecclesia, it wasn't a religious word. It was actually more of a political word, to be honest with you. Gathering of people that came together for a purpose of a civic or political change. It's an assembly of people, yes, but it's not a random assembly of people. It's not just a religious crowd. This is a gathering of people who have been called out of their lives called out beyond themselves, out beyond our individual stories, out beyond our capacities of what we can accomplish on our own into something bigger. And because of this, it's not simply a group of people who look and act and think and vote like us. God has radically called a new kind of community together purposefully, intentionally, to be different than the world around it. Acts 2, before Pentecost, it's largely a homogenous community. And after Pentecost, it becomes immediately a multinational family moving towards becoming this promise of every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. I love that the first response after the falling of the Holy Spirit is going out and speaking the glory of God in the language of people as they can hear it, building something that had never been around before. Stanley Hauerwas, he writes, the Pentecost brought peace not by healing differences through institutionalization of one language to replace the many. Instead, a multilinguistic community was born to be for the world a witness to the peace instituted by the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. The outpouring of God's miracle in the resurrection is that we become a resurrection people who do not look like the homogenous sameness of the world. We have been called together in a room like this, intentionally different and yet radically united. And that's beautiful. 
And I know it doesn't always look very clean and nice and fun. It's sometimes very, very messy. But let me tell you today what an honor it is to get to risk being that misfit family with you. And I'm going to keep doing it. And I hope you keep pressing into the promise and the possibility of what it can be to be the church. And that's what we celebrate today, being called out, but also being called together. Also being called into something bigger than ourselves. And the passage I'm going to actually give my attention to today is not the Acts 2 passage we just heard. It's one that tells the same story in a very different way. It's a slightly different version of the same story from John chapter 20. And we see another type of picture of the Holy Spirit falling on the church. So look with me here on the screen as we look at this version of it. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And he says this, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw their Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, clearly, this is a very different picture of the Pentecost story than what we just heard in the book of Acts. This may feel like these stories contradict one another. You may end up hearing that in regards to Scripture as people talk about how to understand the Bible, the ways in which Scripture tends to often contradict itself. But I want to explain to you today why these two pictures are not, in fact, contradictory, but complementary. To give an example of this, this is a photograph here on the screen of a famous painter by the name of who? Pablo Picasso. You probably recognize him. This is a photo taken in the late 1960s. He's close to 90 years old at this point, but he is still painting. And around this time, he paints one of his many self-portraits. This is a picture of one of his self-portraits during that time. Not the most accurate of pictures, I would say, but a self-portrait. This is Picasso's style. Now, let me ask you, do these two images contradict one another? No. They intentionally show the same person in a different light. One is a picture, literally, of Pablo Picasso. The second is a self-portrait, an artistic rendering of who he saw himself to be. The same is true here for John 20 and Acts 2. The details of the story are different, but they're telling the same story from a different perspective. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is a doctor. And so you see as you read through the book of Acts, he's intent on getting details in a literal telling of the story. John, in his gospel, writes with more of an artistic stroke. Both stories are true, but they're told from differing perspectives and different styles. So I hope you know that. So in the future, if you're reading the scriptures and you see somewhat contradictory versions of a story, these are different authors, these are different perspectives, and yet they tell the same story. Does that make sense? So I'm fascinated here as John paints this picture of why he says what he says in this manner. Instead of the tongues of fire that are appearing on the disciples, we get the very 
breath of God breathed on them from the lungs of the risen Jesus. And it's calling our imagination as we hear these words to another point in Scripture where the breath of life is breathed. Can you know where that is right now? Anybody know? Genesis chapter 2. He's pointing us back to the beginning. Look with me here. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. First, we see in Genesis 2 the breath of creation. In John 20, we see the breath of new creation being breathed into us as new life forms. One is breathed into the lungs of Adam, and now the Spirit of God is breathed in not just to the lungs, but the whole lives of his disciples. You may not know this, but this word spirit in Greek is the word pneuma, which can be translated as wind or breath. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God in our lungs, bringing us to life. And it's important for us to know today, as we receive the breath of God, that it's like taking our first breath and being brought into our own new creation. And every breath after that, as we follow Jesus as his disciples, is breathing in the power and the presence of God breathing out the love of God that he's called us to together. This picture of breath is intentional. So what it means to be a disciple for you and I as Holy Spirit people, as a Pentecost presence people, is that we are now relearning to breathe. We are now relearning to fill our lungs with the God who is present with us and for us. You might think this morning, I don't need to learn how to breathe because I just breathe. Breath is a voluntary action. In some senses, you're right. If you don't know this, and I'm going to get real scientific with you right now, so please be impressed. <laughs> the respiratory center of our brainstem, it, it, it causes us to breathe without thinking. It's involuntary. It is continuous. And most of the time, you're not thinking about breathing, are you? You're just breathing. That is until, most of us have felt this, have you ever struggled to breathe? Buddy, the first time I had pre, pre-vaccine OG COVID, I had a week where I, for the first time maybe ever, really struggled to breathe. And when I got out of that, I never, ever took for granted how much I appreciated the ability to just breathe. Or maybe you've had the air knocked out of you. Maybe you've been sick. You know what it feels like to lose that rhythm and that involuntary nature of breathing. Maybe you and your anxiety have felt before the quickening of your breath without you even thinking about it because your body feels something that your brain hasn't caught up to yet. According to John Hopkins Medicine, the average adult that we, we breathe 12 to 16 times a minute. That's what your normal at-rest breath rate usually is. But in a book called Breathe I was reading this week, James Nestor, very fascinating book. He says our best breathing as human beings comes when we slow that down. He says that the perfect breath is this. Breathe in for about 5.5 seconds, then exhale for 5.5 seconds. 
That's 5.5 breaths a minute for a total of about 5.5 liters of air. Let's get wild here real quick. Let's try this, all right? Let's try breathing in for five and a half seconds and then breathing out for five and a half seconds. You ready? All right, one, two, three, go. One, two, three, four, five. And exhale, one, two, three, four, five. Try it again, one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Some of you are like, I'm never coming back to this church again. This is weird. <laughs> kind of hoity-toity stuff is going on at this place. But think, how do you feel right now? I mean, you, it, quickens, it quickens your breath as you walk through life and don't think about it and are intentional about the way you breathe. And so when you actually slow down and try to take breath in intentionally, your body feels different. You might be thinking, what does this have to do with anything? Why are we doing this? I don't think it's an accident that John speaks of the Holy Spirit being breathed on us. Too often when we talk about the Holy Spirit, especially on Pentecost, we talk about him like the force, like this impersonal power that we get to wield like Jedi, and that's just simply not the case. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal power. The Holy Spirit is a personal presence is one of the Trinity, three in one, God, the Holy Spirit. We do not wield the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wields us, if anything. It is what we receive in and of ourselves. It is God's personal presence breathed into us to bring us to life. That's what John is telling us in this passage today. The Spirit of God is as near and as needed as the breath that we breathe in our lungs. And when we come to a full understanding of who the Holy Spirit is in and for us, we will slow down and receive what he's breathing. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that, that as we step into the Christian life, it's really a lot like learning to breathe again. I mean, coming to Christ is like that moment you come up for air and breathe it in for the first time. It's like catching your breath and breathing in something you've never had before. It's like slowing down, paying attention, relearning the rhythms of both the nearness of God and the need that we have for him. It reminds me, as we think about that slowing down, as we think about that intentionality of receiving the breath of God, Jesus' words in Matthew 11. I love in the message paraphrase, it says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burn out on religion. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I've had plenty of seasons in my journey of faith where I've felt worn down and weary and burnt out on religion. Anybody else? I've had plenty of seasons where I felt like I could not catch my breath. Literally and spiritually. And it wasn't because of a lack of passion or knowledge. It was because of a lack of pace. 
It was because of a lack of walking in the unforced rhythms of the grace of God. I was living, my friends, in a way that neither honored the nearness of God or my need for him. And so slowing down to catch my breath, slowing down to be intentional about that meant a betrayal of this urgency that I thought I was supposed to have on mission for God. Slowing down meant that I I, I wasn't doing enough for him. And so this breathlessness of my walk with Jesus, I spiritualized it to think I'm being urgent about what he's calling me to do. But in reality, it was dysfunctional. In the medical world, that's called this this idea of dysfunctional breathing. And there are disorders like hyperventilation or asthma. And they make breathing strained and difficult. In a lot of the cases, the therapy for these dysfunctional breathing problems includes relearning the actual rhythms of breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in. And breathing out. It reminds me of one of my favorite scenes from one of my favorite movies. This movie, Signs. I showed it to my 11-year-old this week. I probably will regret that. In the film, if you don't know, if you haven't seen it, Mel Gibson, his character, he's a priest and he's lost his faith because he lost his wife in a tragic accident. And I hope this is not a spoiler alert, but him and his brother and his two kids are battling invading aliens and in the scene that i'm going to show you this morning i'm actually going to show a movie clip i think for the first time in the history of this church in the scene i know wow slow down i'm getting fancy i in in this scene they're trapped in the basement they can't get out because they're trying to protect themselves and they realize that he doesn't have his son's asthma medication so watch this clip here with me Here it comes. 
Don't be afraid, Morgan. Feel my chest. Breathe with me. Together. The air is going in our lungs. Together. We're the same. We're the same. I remember seeing that and thinking, what a fantastic picture of the process of discipleship, of leaning up against the Father and feeling the rhythm of his own breathing lungs and relearning the process of breathing in and breathing out once again. Sometimes it is holding on for dear life. Sometimes... It is very scary to slow down. I love he says, fear is feeding it. Fear is feeding it. And as the fear begins to dissipate, the breath begins to come once again. The nearness of God the Father and the nearness of our need. Sometimes we don't understand what it means to breathe until we've drawn near close enough to feel the breath moving in and out of his own lungs so that we ourselves can learn that rhythm. And I think about that and remember that you and I, we're, we're not called to spiritually or literally a worn down and weary and breathless life, are we? On one side, we have a world that demands that we operate at an unmanageable pace just to keep up with everyone around us. You have a world that tells you that you have to carry the fullness of the weight of your identity and constantly adapt and redefine everything about you to fit the whims of the people around you. And on the other side, though, we have, many of us, have known a faith and a church that's done little to speak into that weariness. And worse, we've often added to the weight. We've often added to the shame. We have put a Jesus bumper sticker, bumper sticker on the same weary, wasted life. And we've called that relevant. We've too often, I know, used religion to add a weight on people's shoulders instead of lightening that load ourselves. And I know that that's been the experience of many of you. And you know maybe by now that that's been my experience too. Which is why here on this Pentecost Sunday, I want to offer us the opportunity to collectively and individually, literally and spiritually, to catch our breath. And for many of us, this requires, including myself, the humility of unlearning and then relearning the rhythms of Jesus. The unforced rhythms of grace, as Eugene Peterson says. Pentecost is, is a declaration of our dependence. It is a day that we remember in our fullness that it is God's breath in our lungs that sustains us. And it is the nearness of our lives to the Father that allows us in that dependence to learn how to breathe again. 
A day we remember that a breathless and lifeless life is not what we were made for. That God's indwelling presence as the air in our lungs causes us to lean on and even celebrate that we are dependent on Him. But also, Pentecost is a renewing of our calling as followers of Jesus as well. Right before Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit on his disciples, look at verse 21, what he says. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So as we learn these unforced rhythms of grace, the rhythms of Jesus, we learn to breathe again, and we begin to see the mission of Jesus very differently than we did before. I believe John's not just saying, like I got sent by the Father, Jesus, I'm sending you. What he's actually saying to us is in the same way that the Father sent me, in the same manner that the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Do you see a worn out, weary, lifeless Jesus on mission with God? No, you do not. And so we should look at the life of Jesus, who was far more on mission than any of us, I would imagine, and think that, you know what? If he's not worn down and weary, I must be seeing this wrong. I must be doing something that I shouldn't be doing. Or rather, I, should be, I might be doing a lot more than I should be doing. This breathless rush of urgency driven more by our ego than by our faith. So we slow down. And as we say so often around here, Mission becomes then joining the God who's already present and at work all around us. Pentecost means that the Christian life is something different than what we see around us. Now, one way we can get this wrong is we think that Pentecost means that our Christian life is just one big, long worship service. And some churches and I, people uh, kind of see it this way, as if you just got to perpetually stay in a big giant worship service and next week's worship service better be better than this one because otherwise the holy spirit can't fall now we all know that's wrong but at the same time there is an overreaction to that that says the christian life is just going out and working and doing and serving and doing all you can in the community all day long again good stuff but if that's just what the christian life is too we're missing the mission of Jesus. We want to live the mission of Jesus in the power of Jesus, but this is so important at the pace of Jesus. I want to say that again because I need to hear it. You need to hear it. We need to live it. We want to live in the mission of Jesus, in the power of Jesus, but at the pace of Jesus. We need lives together that are rooted in the unforced rhythms of grace. So that doesn't happen today because I talked you into it. That happens because the Holy Spirit falls and moves in you and in my life. And we begin to learn to breathe once again. So as we move into a time of communion, as Hannah comes, I want to slow down and I want to breathe our prayers together. So remember that 5.5 seconds of breathing? I want, as the band comes here now, I want to pray as we do this. The Christians for generations, for millennia, have been doing something called a breathing prayer, where you breathe in and pray these words and breathe out and pray words. So what I want to do today is, 
as we move into this communion is breathe in, praying, fill us up. And breathe out, praying, send us out. So would you close your eyes and bow your heads together with us here today? That's what we're going to pray. Where we breathe in, fill us up. Breathe, fill us up. Lord, send us out. One more time, Lord, fill us up. Send us out. A room like this just a weekend hobby without you, Holy Spirit. A room like this is just a country club without you, Holy Spirit. And we don't want that. And so in the messy reality that is the church, our church, the church that we all walk within and wrestle with, would you fill us afresh again this morning? Would you slow down our pace? Would you slow down our breathing? Would you teach us to walk with you, not ahead of you, not behind you, but with you? Your mission and your power and your pace for the glory of God in this city. pray this in your name. Amen. We take communion together as we do every week, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. We have elements here on the table. We have some in the back as well and in the lobby. We take these elements remembering the body and blood of Jesus, the remembrance of his cross.